0: Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the Pod of Thunder and Rock and Roll. And today we've got Kerry Silkin, the current Ring of Honor ambassador and former head of Ring of Honor, the owner of Ring of Honor, before he sold the company to Sinclair Broadcasting in 2011. The company made news recently when they announced they'd be running one last show on December 10th, which was Final Battle, and then they were closing their doors indefinitely uh, as Sinclair figured out how to find a path forward for Ring of Honor. The whole roster was let out of their contracts, and as you know, former Ring of Honor champion Jay Lethal has since debuted at AEW. But today we'll hear the story of Ring of Honor from the guy who was there from almost day one, first as a fan, then as a silent investor, then as head of Ring of Honor, and finally as brand ambassador when Sinclair came on board. Kerry's talking about the early days of Ring of Honor, some of the talent that put them on the map, what led them selling to Sinclair how Ring of Honor navigated the pandemic and the circumstances that led to Ring of Honor shutting down this month. Kerry also shares his thoughts on what the future may hold for the company and whether or not he might be involved. We'll talk to Kerry Silken coming up. But before we do, reminder, if you've got some Christmas cash to burn, I've got some great ideas how you can spend it. Book yourself a cabin on Chris Jericho's Rockin' Wrestling Rager at Sea, the Four Leaf Clover. Uh, leaving March 14th to 18th from Miami to uh, Nassau. Go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com for all uh, cruise info. It is going to be the vacation of a lifetime. Or you can buy yourself or your loved ones a ticket to see Fozzie. The Save the World Tour is headed out again March 31st. This time we're headed west and east. uh, But we'll be in California starting May 5th in Los Angeles at the infamous Whiskey A Go Go. Tickets available at fozzyrock.com and don't forget about our legendary VIP meet and greet. It's the best of the biz. Get your tickets at fozzyrock.com and don't forget to book your vacation of a lifetime on Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at SeatChrisJerichoCruise.com. The guest list is stacked. I'll tell you all about it again on Friday, but book your cabin now. Once again, we set sail on March 14th, less than three months away, and it is the only cruise we're doing in 2022. All right, let's get to Kerry Silken and the story of Ring of Honor. Right here, right now on Talk is Jericho. All right, so um, end of an era happened just a few uh, few days ago, a few weeks ago, depending on we were listening to this. Um, Ring of Honor, final battle, and uh, I got Kerry Silken is with us, who was the owner of Ring of Honor for many years and has been... Uh, synonymous with this company that really changed pro wrestling in a lot of ways. First of all, Carrie, how was final battle for you and were you still tied in with ring of honor in any other way other than just uh,
1: emotionally and legacy wise? First of all, thanks for having me on. I'm the, I'm the current, I don't know anymore, but I was the current ring of honor ambassador. Okay. For the, for the last <laughs> Eleven years since I sold the since I sold the company, but yeah, I mean, Chris, twenty years. This February will be legitimately twenty years. I came in as a silent investor. You know, I knew Gabe Sapolsky, right, and uh, there were a couple other guys involved, and uh, I wanted to get in on the ground floor. Why? Because being a lifelong wrestling fan and then becoming an ECW fan when for when for me 90s wrestling was in the shitter, early 90s right. wrestling. And I was I was a front row ECW guy. Oh, wow. and, and besides, you know, the bloodbaths, I loved seeing you, Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero. You know, that was like that was so cool. But when ECW folded, there was this void. And um, the original people that started Ring of Honor, I knew them and I approached them because I figured they'd be starting a company. And they were, but they didn't need my help. Well, about six months later, they came to me. You know what they needed? Money. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was fine with that. I got involved um, behind the scenes. And um, it's weird and this is never spoken about. And as, as a rock and roller, you'll appreciate this as good as the early ring of honor wrestling was and the low keys and the Samoa Joe's and the Spankies, and so on and so forth. And bringing in Eddie Guerrero, bringing in super crazy, as good as it was, there was zero production. Hmm. And I went to Gabe now Gabe's favorite band is rush and he's a rock and roll guy. And so, I said, Gabe, we need some lighting. I mean, he goes, no, Carrie, I don't want you wasting the money on that. I go, Gabe, you go to shows, you go to Rush, you go to this. He, he liked Yes, he liked heavy metal. I said, what happens when any show starts? What happens when a movie starts? He goes, uh, well, the lights go out. I go, what happens when the lights go out? He goes, yeah, the people pop. So we brought in... I don't want to say rudimentary, but sort of rudimentary lighting. and as uh, soon as we did that, uh, what a difference it made to the whole environment. And um, some incidents happened in 2004 of, a, uh, of of a scandalous nature and people right. don't know what we're talking about could Google it. right. But it's funny, Chris, if that didn't happen, I probably would have backed out because the company was just bleeding money. But mm-hmm. after that happened and I had full control, I felt better. And then I just continued to bleed money. But at least <laughs> at least you felt better about it. Right. <laughs> well, well, in
0: what way was it bleeding money? Because as, as we know, it's hard to start a wrestling company. It's hard to run a wrestling company. But what were you uh, coming up against budget wise that was causing you to, to bleed that money?
1: the only real income we had besides the paltry, poultry gates and was merchandise. And at the time it was still the um, VHS era. Right. And in 2003 and four, the DVD era was coming in. So everything had to be converted and when we would, when we, when we started to get a little buzz, and the shows were being, you know, getting a buzz, people wanted to see them, and uh, they, you know, that was our, that was what would take in the money. Even though it was four, six, eight weeks late after the show, they uh, wanted to buy the DVD to see what they had read about, mm. and that was. But it did not cover anywhere close to the bills. Thank God I was single. Thank God I wound up being somewhat successful in the ticket brokering uh, business because my, my ticket agency, you know, funded our ring of honor. And uh, it, was, it was out of the passion for the wrestling, my ego. And I knew I had a good thing. I knew we had a, I knew we had a good product, but it was just impossible to make money.
0: So who were who were the, the top stars kind of in those early years when you first started getting involved?
1: Well, the original batch was low-key. Brian Danielson was on the first Ring of Honor show. Oh wow. One of the Briscoes, because the other Briscoe was only 17 <laughs> and he couldn't wrestle in Pennsylvania. Uh, Spanky, Brian Kendricks, Paul London. These were this this was the original batch. Which And then by the time I was more involved and eventually the full owner, this is when Punk came in. Mm -hmm. This is when Colt Cabana came in. This is when Nigel McGuinness came in. And Samoa Joe. And the list goes on and on.
0: So it really is kind of interesting because you mentioned ECW, which had basically closed in about 98 or so. Obviously, there's no AEW at the time. Uh, and there's really no WCW at the time; had gone out of business too. So there's really only WWE's the only place in town. So Ring of Honor really could bring something different to the table, the same way that that AEW did, you know, almost 20 years later, to differentiate this company from the WWE company. Wrestling is awesome; the guys are awesome. So how are you able to sustain the company when you just said earlier it's impossible to make money? And what was kind of the first breakthrough where you did start making a little money?
1: Well, believe it or not, it never, ever, ever made money. There was a few wow. shows, WrestleMania weekends, where we had good gates in Chicago, but in the you know if you looked at it on an annual level, it always lost money. But I was trying, and the first thing we did uh, beyond the DVDs. And it, it was, we were doing it ass backwards cause we had no TV. Um, we met a guy named Ken Gelman, and he was involved in at the time, these recorded pay-per-views that were like on in demand. Right. Remember those? Yeah. He had dish network. So we, we did, um, we would record the, the, the so-called pay-per-view, which wouldn't air till six weeks later, but dig this the first couple of them we did like i know these are small numbers but for us it was huge we did like close to fifteen thousand buys Mm. it was over the course of days and weeks but it was impressive and um but we needed tv and we just we never were able to get it until andrew simon from hdnet now access yeah i know andrew Okay, he approached us, and I was, you know, I was like, wow, finally. This is around 2008. So Andrew approaches us, and he's funding for the TV to to do the TV uh, tapings, which was a big help, of course. But this was the problem, and no disrespect to Andrew. Little did I know that HDNet only had like three or 4% of cable penetration. They were available on, uh, the dish network, you know, channel 822. Right. right? So I thought the first time it, it aired, man, the, the the DVD sales and the merch sales, the online sales are just going to take off. And I was wrong. Uh, but, I, you know, still, I, I, I tip my hat to those guys. I appreciate what they did for us. The deal lasted like two years. Jim Carnett came in, helped produce the TV, and I he'd been in a f- number of Ring of Honor dates prior. And by having Jim there, Jim knew Gary Juster. Mm-hmm. And Gary Juster, who I guess we should tell the fans, is a long time. NWA, WCW, uh, prim, uh, he booked the building. Yeah, booking agent, right, yeah.
0: You know Gary? Yeah, of course, from WCW
1: right. and from yeah, from around, absolutely. So Gary knew Joe Coff, who worked for Sinclair. Joe Coff was a longtime wrestling fan, and back, back in the 80s, did you ever hear of, or did you ever see the Battle of the Belts? It was like an eighty-four, eighty-five. It was no. it was done in Florida, sort of like a pre-recorded pay-per-view, or maybe it was on some of the affiliates. Anyway, Joe Coff like wrestling, and he went to the Sinclair Brass. It took almost fifteen months to get the deal done, right? And it wasn't like they were paying me a lot of money. But um, it was, cor- you know it's, it was the corporate world, which I know you have familiarity with. They stick flight flashlights every which way, and you know where they stick them in your mouth, and you know what. <laughs> and it seemed like it was never going to happen because I wanted to get out. you know, I wanted to get out, but I just couldn't bring myself to do it and not to be redundant. Thank God for the ticket business in that era. in in the early 2000s into the mid 2000s was very good. This was before tickets where every ticket was uh, for a major show is, you know, a minimum price of $300. Um, It's ridiculous, but um, it funded ROH, but uh, I wanted to get out and it worked out perfectly because I was able to get out, but yet they still wanted me around because I was the, so-called face of ROH, right? You know, the figurehead, yeah.
0: So when, when going back to kind of pre-Sinclair, because I want, I want to talk about both eras. When you mentioned that you know DVD sales were one of the cornerstones of your financial, you know, situation, w- was it slowly getting smaller as the advent of YouTube started, or was YouTube even a thing? Back in two thousand eight nine, uh, were people still buying the DVDs rather than just being able to see them online? I guess is what my question
1: is. They were buying the DVDs, but I got smartened up. Although I ignored the advice in two thousand and five, and I'll tell you or six. I'll tell you a quick story. Ken Gelman, the guy that put together the uh, tape pay per views, brought us to these big wigs in New York City. These guys had connections with Disney. This that anyway, we go there. And the, and, and the guy he brings us to says, you guys are doing this backwards. You need TV before you do pay-per-views, even if they are pre-recorded issues. We're like, well, we don't have TV. Anyway, within the course of that conversation, Chris, one of the guys there who was probably in his 30s is explaining to me, you know, Carrie, um, in a few years, People are going to be looking on their phones, watching movies, watching concerts. <laughs> well, this is two, once again, this is 2005 6. Well, when I left that meeting, I'm like, this guy's nuts, right? <laughs> right. That's what I know. So, but yeah, to your point, um, as the time went on, the DVD sales were shrinking, and uh, you know, it, it was, isn't it? Wasn't isn't it nice? I'm sure you have DVDs in your house, sure, of course, oh. right? As a showpiece, but uh, uh, you know, eventually, uh, they were extinct. So, who was uh,
0: booking at this time frame over the eight, nine years that you owned the company?
1: Do you know Gabe Sapolsky? Yes, Gabe Sapolsky was the original Ring of Honor booker, right? And You know that the life expectancy of Booker's isn't very, very uh, strong. Yeah. But he lasted until 2008. You know, Gabe did a phenomenal job, but it's like he's the son of Paul Heyman. (laughs) So he inherited uh, some of the negative, angry traits of Paul Heyman. (laughs) Right. You know like just you know like like show showpiece kind of stuff mm-hmm. just to get angry to get angry right and um i wasn't crazy about that behavior his booking was fantastic we had so many guys going through but i had to make a change and that led to adam pierce Oh, okay who's now a big shot with a big, a big mocker as my Jewish <laughs> grandmother would say, on WWE. But uh, yeah, Gabe did a great job. You know, we got, we got lucky along the way, Chris, because Noah approached us, pro wrestling Noah uh, approached in Japan. us in 2005. And it was like, why do they want to talk to us? Well, they wanted a presence in the United States we garnered a relationship with them this is with marafuchi and kenta and morishima and um it was expensive but it worked and it really elevated our stock we got to go to the uk in 2005 and 6 and then eventually with the help of noah And uh, we were working a little bit with Dragon Gate, but that's another story. We got to go to Tokyo twice, Mm. 2007, 2008. This is
0: as a a Ring of Honor tour, a Ring of Honor with Noah?
1: Yes, right. And it was a combination show. It it, it was sort of the golden era. This is like when Tyler Black, you know, Seth Rollins was, was elevating. Nigel and Brian were the cornerstones of the company. The Briscoes were so well-established and just kicking ass. And um, Austin Aries, I mean, Samoa Joe was gone, but overall, uh, you know, our crew has always been good. And it was like they put the the Thanksgiving fork in us so many times. For example, (laughs) we had the CM Punk Samoa Joe Trilogy. Maybe you're aware of it. Maybe you're not. But that was sort of after that rough patch we went through and really got a lot of attention. And, well, there goes Samoa Joe leaving for TNA. Oh, well. And uh, shortly after that, who the hell left after that? Oh, oh, Punk. We had Punk. Punk was fabulous. Well, Punk gets a developmental deal in WWE. 2006. Bye bye, punk. But what I learned and what I saw happen right in front of my eyes, and you've seen it a thousand times, it elevated other guys. It opened right. up space for other guys. So this way, the Jamie Nobles and the Austin Aries and the Seth Rollins and the Kevin Steenslash jones and the El Generico Sammy Zanes and the Davey Richards, and the Eddie Edwards, and we can go on and on. It opened up spots. Plus, we were we had, you know, uh, Kenta, Marafucci, not on every show, but on a lot of them. So right. every time this would happen, people are like, they're done. But the biggest one of all was in 2009, because simultaneously in September, I mean, I had notice both Brian and Nigel, Brian Danielson and Nigel McGuinness were leaving. And I'm like, what the hell are we going to do? And I called Carnet who just got fired from impact or Quick, one of the two TNA. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I had Jim come to New York as a surprise. I also had homicide who New York, that was well. I didn't mention yet. I, 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 I'm I, delinquent in mentioning homicide. I had him come back for that show as a surprise, and it was sort of like a magic trick. As, as bad as it was yeah. to lose, right? As bad as it was to lose Brian and Nigel when they saw Carnett and the way he was presented, <laughs> when they saw homicide and the way he was presented, it was like it put a band aid on it, and we went from there. Well, that, that's the
0: thing, and obviously Jimmy would know that and Paul Heyman would know that. Is it kind of frustrating, or is it just, just the way it is when you build the guys up? Do you kind of know at a certain
1: point they're going to leave and go to WWE? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and by the way, this is never spoken about, and I don't ever think I've mentioned it, even on my podcast. I think we were the only company that it might have been a 12- a or 16- or 18-month period of time that provided insurance wow. to, it wasn't all of them, but yeah. you know, the big names, uh, we, we had, we had an insurance policy in the office, but um, yes, you just, you got used to this. It was incredible attrition. I mean, the attrition rate was just ridiculous. Right. You know, and WWE, even more than TNA was watching us and watching these guys and um cherry picking yeah you know along the way you know we there's tyler black seth rollins really you know kicking ass well they're calling him and uh you know it it, it went on it went on and on and on well then here comes adam cole and here comes kyle o'reilly and here comes uh, this one and that one and, uh, the Jay lethal, how can I forget him? Mm. Jay lethal got released. He came back. Um, cabana got released. He came back. Mm-hmm. So there was this revolving cast. It's like of an all-star band,
0: right? <laughs> Anybody can come up and jam whenever they're in town. <laughs> Absolutely. Two questions. How many shows were you running a week? And were you having guys under contract or were you just paying them per show at this point?
1: Yes, we had, I had to put guys under contract and I was very liberal the, uh, to your first, to your first question. We ran like 50 dates a year, 50. Okay. Wow. 50 dates. Yeah. So I gotcha. we would do a weekend, you know, Chicago, Detroit, mm-hmm. uh, three weeks later, New York, Philly, three weeks later, um, I don't know, uh, Boston and Toronto. And um, I had to have guys under contract. So the Nigels, the Bryans, the uh, the top name guys, the, the Seth Rollins were under contracts. And the rules of the contracts would you could do anything you want except be go to WWE, go to TNA, and you can't do any kind of these, the, the few independent pay-per-views that existed at the time. Gotcha. But along the way, a guy like, oh, uh, I don't know, let's just say uh, Nigel in 2006, hey, mate, I got an offer to go to a, a tryout, WWE. They just want to look at me. And I, I was like, go, go ahead. You know, and uh, I I wasn't like, you know, if, if these guys got an opportunity it's not like they just jump and run, but if they got an opportunity, I would allow them to explore yet. At the same time, I didn't want to lose them, but maybe I'm a bad, but maybe I'm too nice a businessman.
0: No, I I remember because, because what ring of honor was, like you said, the, the, the newer version, the modern day version of ECW. And when I was in ECW, once again, short time, I think 22 matches I had there. And when I got the opportunity to go work for WCW, I told Paul Heyman, Uh, I don't want to go. And then he goes, well, don't, (laughs) it's very simple. If you don't want to go, don't go. And I'm like, well, of course I want to go, but I don't want to go. It almost, I knew it was going to be a stop for me in order to go to the next stop. And I'm sure you probably found that from a lot of guys coming through ring of honor as well.
1: Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but ECW didn't give you a a full-time contract.
0: No, no, no. I don't, I don't think they even had anybody under contract back then.
1: (laughs) But yeah, I, I mean, I did the best I could. We had, we had a really good locker room. You know, it's funny, the young bucks who are like my, I call them my West coast sons oh, yeah. um, or sometimes I put on a, your show. I put on AEW or I would put on raw a few years ago or NXT and I, there's Kevin Steen. There's, El, there's Generico. There's this one. There's that one. And it's like, it's like I'd put out, I'd take a picture, or if I'd go visit them in a show, and I, I the, my caption was over, was always all my children, <laughs> and two of my best children, and my favorite guys were the Bucks, mm. and Adam Pierce brought the Bucks in. I remembered him telling me, I go, where do they live? He goes, California. He goes, I, I he goes, they're only seventy-five bucks a night. I go, but it's California. He goes, I got him on spirit airlines. <laughs> it's, only, it's only eight stops. <laughs> so, <laughs> the Bucks came in. I got to know them really well. Um, I'm so happy for their success. I'm, I'm happy for everyone's success. You know, it's just been such a crazy, crazy ride, but you know, th- during my time at ROH, when it was clicking it was clicking so well and like do you mind if I throw out a couple names please please to this day we still and it was up to let la- this is this goes to the very last show we had the we have no disrespect to Justin Roberts the best ring announcer in wrestling my opinion Bobby Cruz mm. the best and we had the best referee in wrestling Todd Sinclair they were they weren't with us since day 1 um, Bobby came in. I don't know if you even know about this. Steve Carino used to do these, these uh, entrances with the ring announcer where the, the ring announcer, uh, uh, it's right up your alley, a list. <laughs> yeah. <You
0: know? laughs> so, I, Bobby, think, I think, I think that's where Jimmy Jacobs got that idea. Is for Steve Carino. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah.
1: And, and so, yeah, but, but Bobby and Todd, I felt so bad for uh, them this weekend. I mean there was such a mixed bag of emotions but yeah you know um you know the feeling it was that you know Ring of Honor's always had yes there was always a bad apple here and there but it had that down home family feeling right. come on let's go out and get it you know let's win one for the gipper kind of thing you mentioned TNA
0: a couple times were they more cuz i think you guys had a had a talent relation Agreement? <laughs> not, not a fan, huh? I was gonna say, no, it was, no, no.
1: well, they didn't deal with us. They, I'll talk about it. Yeah, they didn't deal with us very nicely.
0: Because you were you know, supposed to have a talent exchange. Is that what you're talking about? They, or just in general?
1: They, 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 they it was totally one sided. Gotcha. Uh, and I've met and spoken a lot to Jeff Jarrett later on. Who knows when he was actually there and he wasn't. But you know, and, and I'm not. Matt, it's Scotty D'Amore or this one or that one, but we didn't get treated very nice by them. Leave it at that. Gotcha. So before we move into the
0: Sinclair, I want to ask you Mention Eddie Guerrero, and I forgot that Eddie came to to Ring of Honor, and that was part of kind of his reestablishing himself in the business after he got fired from, from WWE to show that he could be trusted. So tell us about how he came in
1: and what it was like to have Eddie around. He was Eddie was on the very first show. I was, there wow. a, I was there as a fan, Chris. Mm. And I hope I don't mess this up. I think it was Eddie Guerrero against Super Crazy. And that was the two big fly-ins. Everybody else, once again, it wasn't my company yet. Everybody else were these New York guys. And then, um, what's the guy's name? Rudy Gonzalez from Texas, right? <laughs> yeah. from, out of the Sean Mike... He, they, they they shipped up Brian Spanky. They shipped up Paul London. They shipped up this one. I think Dank, I think Christopher Daniels, but anyway, I was at that show and the Guerrero match was fabulous. and Gabe made a decision to have, I think it was Danielson, Spanky and Loki or Danielson, Loki and Paul London. Go on after that in a three-way match which was ballsy but that's why Gabe was good but yeah to have eddie guerrero was fabulous and another thing i really enjoyed during my tenure i'm a guy that likes history whether it's (laughs) wrestling baseball rock and roll uh the civil war i like history so i used to like to bring in legends we had harley race we had bill watts we had bruno Martino, jim carnett bobby heenan ricky steamboat and foley mick foley worked like se- seven shows with us mm. i'm gonna tell i'm gonna tell a story he might get mad mick comes in and this is after that little aforementioned scandal right we do a shoot interview with him and i had read in his book that he just mentioned in his first book how he was such a huge Jethro Tull fan, so which I am too. And so after the shoot interview, and you, you know him, he's a huge Christmas fan, You're right? Well, guess what? The, the shoot interview was in like September. Well, Tull, this is 2004. Tull releases a Jethro Tull Christmas album, <laughs> and he didn't know about it. And I had the CD and I gave it to him and that started our little connection. And then he agreed to come to make a live appearance and he was expensive. Right. I don't need to say the number, but he was very expensive, but it's Mick Foley, but he wasn't going to wrestle. You know, he'll do some kind of little angle, but you know, anyway, he, and it, and it was in the New York area. He enjoyed it so much that The next loop for us, this is a loop, Chicago, Detroit, or or Dayton and somewhere. I wanted to use them. And uh, Ricky Steamboat was coming also, but I couldn't really afford them. And I called him up and he said, look, I love what I saw there. I'll don't tell anybody, Carrie, but I'll do it for X. But you can't tell anybody, (laughs) and we had him for like, we had him and Ricky Steamboat for like six and seven, six or seven shows, and I remember uh, it was in Dayton. And Gabe's and they're, and they're sitting in the locker room. And they're just both. They're, they're just talking. And uh, Gabe Polsky comes over to me, and he's like hitting me like, Carrie, Carrie look, look, it's friggin' McFoley." <laughs> of, of course, but yeah, I loved bringing in the legends, whether it was. Uh, And he turned out to be a dear friend, uh, Bushwhacker Luke, right? Yeah. Gotta respect history, you know. And I and 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 I'm glad that AEW does.
0: Right. No, it's important. You can't. I hate when WWE does it. They'll bring in somebody, a legend, and then end up shitting on them or making them look bad. It's like that's not what people don't want to see. That you know.
1: Or and they have talk about revisionist history. Yeah. (laughs) You know there is there is so. I'm glad to see you guys, you know, carrying, carrying on with that. It's very important.
0: So when you finally sell to, to Sinclair, what, what were the major differences that you noticed right away?
1: Well, the reason Sinclair bought it was at the time they had 70, 80 affiliates. So in other words, they had, Ooh, Channel 28 in Des Moines, uh, a Fox affiliate. Ooh, Channel 7 in Oklahoma City, a CW affiliate. But they were owned by Sinclair. So it was, they're going to produce an hour of TV to put on these 70 stations, which by the way is now 200, and they're going to be in the local markets. And that's why they wanted the company. And and it's funny, I love Jim Carnett. I'm probably one of the only guys in history that he never had a blowout with. <laughs> that was a look. But Jim, Jim was a little when the deal was starting to go down, Jim says, Carrie, do you do you know what Vince McMahon would pay to have 70 local affiliates? Well, that boat had left the station. <laughs> and so you know, the idea was, well, now we're on in Des Moines. People are going to watch it. We can go to Des Moines, right? Right. It didn't happen, but um, so Sinclair got their hour of TV, continued doing the live shows, still released DVDs in the beginning, and uh, dude, there were a lot of growing, a lot of growing pains with Sinclair. A lot of them you know, they they had a hot potato in their hand. And that's not necessarily good. Maybe it was a hot message. (laughs) (laughs) But there were a lot of growing pains. But, you know, this is a this is a multi billion dollar company. And I love Joe Koff, who is the corporate head of Sinclair. And I'm not going to You know, there's no reason, you know, he's been nothing but gracious to me and nice the whole time. But um, unless they got on live TV, as you know, it's tough.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And And we
1: never were able to do
0: that. What was Sinclair's kind of MO for for, for buying Ring of Honor? They
1: just want the original content? Well, no, they wanted that to, to produce an hour of TV for those at the time, 70 or 80 affiliates as opposed to buying three's company or gotcha. Seinfeld and, and um, <laughs> they, they garnered revenue from the advertising, I think. And uh, but they got that hour of content and it, it, it never was uniformed. Like if they would have had every station play it, right? at, Saturday morning at 11, like the old days when you would watch wrestling, then roller derby. Yeah. <laughs> but it never happened.
0: Yeah, you're right. Because it was very, it was syndicated, like you said. So it would be all over the place on the map. If it would have been, like you said, every Saturday at noon or every Wednesday at nine on this channel, because it, it was hard, because, you know, I'd never heard of Sinclair. And, and you go through hey, channels. Yeah. Well, who's, you get a thousand freaking channels. Who knows? Which one is which at this point, you know? So hey. I always wonder if it turned out as big as they wanted it to, or they were hoping for.
1: We certainly know the Springsteen song "57 Channels" and nothing and on. Nothing on exactly. Another 857 channels, <laughs> but at the same time, they were they were trying. We were doing pay per views along the way, doing like four a year. We oh we we also we also were trapped originally with the uh, internet pay-per-view thing, which was complete disasters. That's where Jim Carnette lost it. What and happened? The <laughs> feed would go out in the middle, you know, and and there's nothing you can do. You were too busy with your career at WWE, but there was a company called Go Fight Live. And they were the, the cutting edge the cutting edge internet technology and, and it, 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 it was garbage but uh it worked sometimes eventually we started doing the traditional on your cable on you know uh, it also the website which still exists ring of honors honor club which is a good deal and it had the old con a lot of the old content and you were able to watch uh, you know, the pay per views through that. Or like I recorded Saturday night on my cable. I don't know about you, but I don't, so I did that Chromecast thing. I could figure it out <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. But I'd rather just record it. So, yeah, we would do like four a year. And um, then the pandemic came, you know, and I don't want to speak for Joe Koff, but the plan was going to be we're going to be doing weekly TV. Where it was going to be, I don't know. Even if it was on YouTube, like AEW Dark, right? Right. But to get one uniform place, and then the pandemic came. That was it. That was it. We 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 had it six or seven months off. We were showing best of content, and uh, we came yeah. back with this empty arena stuff. We did the the pure title division was. Part was a tournament we did after the pandemic. The women's, we, we created a women's division. And, and to their credit, they paid everybody. Yeah. Everybody got paid. This is, bro, this is unprecedented. Right. So you got to give Sinclair credit. And, uh,
0: but when, is- when you're looking at the bean counters, though, you know, because Sinclair, you know, whoever's running the accounting department, probably don't care which show is which they just see a a name of a show and numbers Mm -hmm. and seeing how much money they spent on ring of honor during this and not getting anything really back. That probably put, put, put ring of honor on the chopping
1: block. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, maybe we'll be back in some, maybe we'll be back in some form. You know, we're supposed to have a, we're supposed to have a show WrestleMania weekend, Maybe it's not announced and I'm, it's breaking news for your thing. But so we'll see, you know, let, let's hope that that happens.
0: Let me ask you, so was it Sinclair that made the decision to, I don't want to say pull the plug, but to kind of end the operations as the way they are? Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Probably because of all the money they spent during the pandemic. Well, let's go back to, to, to wh- when do you think Ring of Honor was at its peak? from a, I guess, from a business-wise, from perception-wise?
1: Probably in 2006 through nine. Um, I'm, you know, as I said before, we got to go to the UK. That was a huge deal for us. Um, and Japan, we were the darlings at the time. We were the cool kids at the time. Wow, yeah. And then we get approached by Darren Arnovsky, who's doing the wrestler movie and And Darren Arnovsky, um his thought process was the the closing scene. He wanted it, you know, obviously, you've seen the movie, yeah. right? He wanted that character to fin- you know have that last match at what looked like yeah, you know, a prestigious kind of independent, a big he show. Yeah. He couldn't work with wwe. He could, TNA, I guess I don't know if he spoke to them. But he's based in Brooklyn, so he wanted to do everything in the New York, New Jersey area. Right. And he approached us. And um, they came to a show at the Hammerstein. And the movie wasn't even a go yet. And he wanted to, can we come and look around? Is it okay if we go in the back? I'm like, sure. And then he, one of the, his, his right-hand man calls the day of the show and says, listen we're coming and we appreciate it, but we're bringing someone and we don't want the word to get out. I'm like, uh, fine. Well, it was Nicholas Cage. Wow. And Nicholas Cage was slated to be in the Mickey Rourke role. Really? The problem in the end was he wanted more money than the whole budget of the movie. <laughs> Nicholas Cage comes and there I am, little old Carrie Silken sitting in the back in the dressing room. And I got, Arnofsky on one side, and I'm looking across from Nicolas Cage. And he, I'm, you know, give me Al Pacino, give me Dustin Hoffman, <laughs> give me Robert De Niro. I'm an older guy. No. Nicolas Cage is a great actor, but I wasn't like a huge, but it wasn't like right. I'm meeting, I'm meeting a friggin' Mick Jagger. Holy shit. So <laughs> there he is. So we're in the back, and everyone, you know, Nigel's there, this one, everyone's being cool. And um, Nicholas Cage looks over at me, across the table, in the back, and he says, he points to, like, Nigel. He goes, why is he a good wrestler? I go, well, I mean, he's got a great personality. Uh, he he he's he knows how to wrestle. He's from Britain. He brings a different style. Then he points over at Necro Butcher. <laughs> he goes, why is he a good wrestler? I go, well, he's <laughs> he like a... He does like a hardcore thing. You know, it's like a blood and guts style. And he's going around the room pointing at this one and pointing at that one. And I'm running out of answers. <laughs> finally, he, sta- he stands up and he's very thin. He's like 6'2 and he's sitting. He goes, yeah. so what would make me a good wrestler? And I'm like, well, you know, guys like uh, Bret Hart, and um Chris Jericho <laughs> and um Sean Michaels, you know, they aren't like the biggest guys, but you know, they have personality and they know how to work a crowd. And I'm sure you could do that. So that was that was my experience with Nicholas Case. So they brought they brought Mickey, so we got signed on to the movie when the budget got cleared. They brought Mickey Rourke in, and uh that was a great experience doing that. That's and that was, that was, this was sort of, and I thought, holy shit, Mickey Rourke gets nominated for an Academy Award. Then in the end of the movie, Bruce Springsteen did the close the, the yes. walkout song. I'm like, this is huge. <laughs> and, and the Ring of Honor logos and banners were everywhere in the movie. They didn't, you know, it's fine. Yeah. But you know what, Chris? Didn't mean a damn thing. <laughs> yeah. Didn't push the needle. I'm thinking the college kids are going to come out. The hipsters. Every, you know, the movie got, you know, it, it was popular. But, you know, maybe if Mickey Rourke would have won the Academy Award. <laughs> what, what do you think that, that it was that kind
0: of limited Ring of Honor from getting bigger and getting that, that spotlight that you're talking about? My just, just in money. general because it always kind of just hit a certain level and that was that was it
1: we never got we, we never were able to get live TV Gotcha and uh, you know if if we, if we play if we play Monday morning quarterback and it is Monday morning, you need live TV in this day and age uh, what do you think?
0: same thing I, I think it was always kind of slotted as a as a modern day ECW which in the 90s was cool but as you move on to the 2000s and 2010 the look of it it just kind of looks small and there's a niche for it. But I think once New Japan kind of got m- more TV and kind of infiltrated, I really think when Cody and the Bucks and I know Kenny wasn't there all the time, but Hangman right. when when AW began and took kind of that uh core group out, that probably hurt as well. Yeah. But I think, like you said, it never had the big time national television.
1: Right. When when in the 2015, 16, 17 era, when uh, Cody came in, maybe it was 16, 17. Yeah. And the Bucks came. The Bucks were, you know, because of the Bullet Club thing. Right. That was a big deal. And we, we started popping for us some good houses. What's a good house for us? 2,000 people. WrestleMania weekend. We did 7,000 people yeah. in New Orleans and uh, there was one in Orlando. We did about the same amount, but that was in the, uh, the era with, you know, Cody and the bucks and, and Kazarian and, you know, lethal, was but, but, you know, lethal was there. The Briscoes were there, you know, the, the, the old school ring of honor guys. And um, then uh, you got them all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> let's talk a little bit about about final battle um just kind of tell us the the genesis of that show because like i said I, i'm currently in london so i didn't see the show but i read the reports And you had you know ftr showing up and you had a, a lot of special surprises aw guys were involved uh, how important was this show and, and how were you able to put it together to have all these these guys on it
1: well our booker Delirious. Mm-hmm. He reached out, and uh, Diana Perazzo made an appearance. Braun Strowman made an appearance. How about right. that? Yeah. And, and not to mention FTR, and um, and
0: Jay Lethal was in the main event. He replaced right. Bandito, and, you know, right? Yeah.
1: You know, I'm very close Bruce. to people, and yeah. uh, he'll hear this. And when he when he powdered out a little early, I thought, <laughs> I said, Jay you can't stay to the final bat. This is before, you know, you can't stay to the final because Carrie, the wrestling market is very flooded with wrestlers. You know, they talk about it's a golden era, but there's guys, you know, now there's going to be another 30, 40 guys on the right. Market. He wanted, you know, it's All right, All right. So it, it, it was poetic justice to have Jay back, you know, with bandito, uh, and not feel and, uh, having uh, testing positive for COVID, so yeah, lethal and Jonathan Gresham, but yeah, it, it, Chris, it was a it was forgetting the melancholy part of it. It was a magic night. the The matches were great. The Friscos against uh, Matt Taven and Mike Bennett. You know, Dave Meltzer would probably give it four stars. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal phenomenal and that we had one blood and guts match with which not no blood but a lot of guts which was (laughs) i don't know if you know these guys kenny king and shane Shane taylor i know kenny yeah shane taylor is excellent and uh the women's title this this very young girl roxy against willow very good um everyone was represented on the card and uh culminating with uh, Lethal and Gresham, you know, as the main event. And it, uh, hopefully, you know, what if, if nothing else, when you have some time, YouTube to check out that main event because Jonathan Gresham is so good and Lethal is so good and they're both uh, scientific wrestlers. And it was just fantastic and it was very emotional And towards as it was coming down to the end, because the pay-per-view is going to cut off (laughs) right? the whole roster, baby face heels, it didn't matter. Everybody came out to to ringside and uh, Jonathan Gresham kept the belt and uh, it was a hell of a moment. Well, you
0: guys had quite a few of those. That was the one kind of thing, like you said, the, the melancholy side of it. But you booked it as if you were moving forward. I mean, having Adam Scher appear and having Gresham get the title. And, and I think the the, the the Briscoes won the titles again for the 12th time or whatever yeah, it was. It,
1: the company's not, you know, it, it's being it's being reinvented. Uh, let's hope. You yeah. know, as, as far as what I know now... These titles are going to be defended in other places. Uh, Jonathan Gresham, he's booked in a number of places, including he's doing a really cool show in Atlanta. The name of his new show or promotion is Terminus. Terminus, I heard that. He's got a very good. It's getting a really good buzz, and you know the you know he's going to be there. The kid that's the Pure Champion, the Pure Belt Champion, Josh Woods is going to be there. I'm not sure about the Briscoes, but, um, and I believe that the, the girl Roxy is going to be there. But um, so these titles are going to be still be active despite the uh, hiatus.
0: Right. Cause now everybody, the, all the contracts are done. So everybody is free to go elsewhere. No, not necessarily. Yeah. Oh well, yeah, it is. S-
1: some guys have contracts that rolled over and, once again, tip of the hat to Sinclair. They're getting paid, I believe, through the end of like for the next four months. Gotcha. So, but yeah. Um, so the, the the belts or the title holders are alive and well. It'll be in name.
0: As we start to, to wind down, are there some talents that now are available that maybe we're st- like like Jay, like Jay Lethal was saying, I'll stay in Ring of Honor for as long as they'll have me. Suddenly, Ring of Honor ends. He has to go. And, and come to A.W. Are there some other talents that you think will show up elsewhere? Ones that you think, okay, these guys, now that that ring of honor is gone for now, will definitely move on.
1: Well, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Mike Bennett. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Maria Canella, you know? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he and Matt Taven are, are, are wonderful. Um, I don't expect you to know some of these names, but Vincent Vinnie Marsire, I can't pronounce his, his ass name. Vinnie Marsaya <laughs> but Vincent, uh, he does a does a sort of like a a horror a horror movie kind of gimmick. But he's mm-hmm. great. He's great. The aforementioned Jonathan Gresham, he's gonna he's gonna move on. Um, Shane Taylor, uh, th- these guys are good. Once again, Kenny King, these guys are all very viable. Uh, talents not to mention The Mexican talent we've been mm. using This bandito who wasn't at the, is phenomenal Dragon Lee, Roosh Who had the Ring of Honor belt Prior and uh, So yeah there, there's You know hopefully Tony Khan <laughs> <laughs> Welcome of these other guys yeah. We'll yeah. see what happens
0: Well and, and that's the thing Because I had Ring of Honor the very first Jericho cruise was with Ring of Honor. I think you were on it, right? I wasn't on it. I was you supposed to know. It. but it,
1: I, I
0: Okay. So I know a lot of those guys and work with Joe Coffin, with with, with Craig. Um, so, it, you know, once again, it's great to see the guys doing so well and great to see him move on. So last few questions for you. In your opinion, what are some of the greatest matches you ever saw in Ring of Honor? I'll tell you the greatest match. Okay.
1: And if you've never seen it, watch it uh samoa joe against Kabashi. oh wow in new york city this is before there was our first new york city show and we were we had a building that was up in like spanish harlem and it wasn't a bad building but guess what something happened and they didn't pay the rent (laughs) (laughs) so we're scrambling and one of our uh a dear friend of mine. And he did it. He was at, he was when you were in, you're in Europe, but he was, he made an appearance at uh, AEW in a dark match as a manager, the Prince Nana. He, uh, he found, he's running around New York city. Um, and he finds (laughs) a building where the Hammerstein is. And there's the Manhattan center on top and there's that hotel, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, That, 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 Half-ass hotel. Well, they had a ballroom, and the ballroom fit like five hundred people. I mean, jammed in, and we used that. And thank God things were the way they were because you could dupe the fire commissioner, <laughs> right? <laughs> we had eight or nine hundred people, but this, you know, this is obviously we had the relationship with Noah, but to get to get Kabashi you know? And I'm not yeah. an expert on Japanese wrestling, but I was like, wow. So that match, if you watch it, it was the only Ring of Honor match where there's no commentary because it didn't need it. Wow. And this was like, did you see the recent Muhammad Ali documentary? The new I one? Have, I haven't it's seen it. Ben Burns one. I haven't seen it. Well, the reason I mentioned that you've seen these fights, Ali Frazier, you know, Ali Foreman, you know, they talk about the yeah. big fight feel. And this was the big fight feel. This was in 2005. And it's like, I remember, you know, Samoa Joe, I wasn't real close with him, but we were friendly. And he was sitting behind the curtain, not in the locker room for like two hours. And, <laughs> Kabashi didn't even show up to the building to like if the if the match started at 1030, showed up at like 945. Wow. And they just went out and they did it. it it's an absolute classic. That would that's, be my all time favorite match.
0: That's amazing, too, because your fans were always so super excited, throwing streamers and all that sort of stuff. They're really great, hardcore, knowledgeable wrestling fans.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and you know, it, it, and you know, and then to see Brian, and, oh God, Brian and Nigel, you know Nigel McGuinness, uh, it's just a shame he never had a longer career. Mm-hmm. But him and Brian Danielson used to have these wars, and um, there's a classic match from Liverpool where these guys are headbutting each other Oof. like bully goats, and you know right. these are two guys that can wrestle. But they would do anything, you know, they're going to do anything for the sport. And uh, that comes to mind. Then, you know, to more modern history, having uh, the Hardys come in to wrestle right. in the weekend to have a ladder match with the Bucks, you know, and Kev- oh, Kevin Owens, Kevin Steen, and Generico in so many wars, and that got involved with Jimmy Jacobs and Carino and, and Tyler Black. There's just so many great matches over the years, man. There's a wealth of wrestling content, and at the risk of being self-serving, I think Ring of Honor completely changed the wrestling landscape.
0: Oh, it completely did. And my last question kind of revolves around that. Who do you feel were, like, the top I don't know let's just say top three it might be less there might be more but let's just say three three as a number top three uh most influential wrestlers in changing that landscape like who are the top three most important wrestlers in ring of honors history or five or one or whatever you might think
1: well we'll we'll use these two as one number one the briscoes right 20 years they never left wow it's incredible chris 20 years longevity like that yeah it doesn't exist right um then brian danielson mm-hmm. he just you know um i mean pump was only really there for three years four years samoa joe was only there for three or four years but brian was there from 2002 till 2009 mm. so he's got to be on that list right um I mean, I want to say Samoa Joe. His his career was short, with not that long, but he's he's got to be mentioned. But uh, and Seth Brown, you know, Tyler Black, Seth Brown. I mean, phenomenal. And then that brings me to a more modern era with you know Adam Cole. Yeah, wonderful, great matches. You know, I've been very fortunate to be with the company then and you know being a fan of wrestling that you know respected the business had such high for the most part high quality matches and so the briscoes samoa joe punk danielson adam cole kevin oh you know how do i leave kevin own (laughs) you know it's like and there's probably a bunch of names that i'm uh I'm leaving off the list here, but you know, because it's it's a laundry list. Deleteable. I'm leaving Dude, it's a laundry list. Last question for you. What's next for Carrie Silken now? Well, I got to give a cheap plug to uh, my podcast. Yes. Last stop, Penn Station, and I I can't wait to be able to meet you and hang out with you, to tell you some stories of my <laughs> other life. <laughs> I was voted. I, if there would have been a vote, I was the most unlike, most unlikely guy to succeed. I went to college for a semester and majored in pinball and joint rolling. <laughs> I had a brief. I had a brief career at working with club bands. We're talking about '76 to '81, the, the, the New Jersey, New York, Long Island club scene cover bands, but it was huge at the time. I was a lighting guy, the drinking, you know, which which sort of played back into ring honor. But anyway, back then the drinking age was 18. No one gave a shit about anything. And there was a million good rock clubs. It it, it was a golden era. You know, that's when Asbury park also was huge. But uh, then, as I mentioned in my text, I discovered cocaine (laughs) <laughs> and I've had a lifelong struggle, not with with substances. You know, once an addict, always an addict. Right. And um, but I, I wound up I couldn't hold a job. So I wound up hustling, learning how to hustle tickets on the streets of New York City. I'd been around the city. I knew a few guys. And um, my, my, I started my career as a digger, D I G G E R. You know what that is? No. Someone who stands online all night for 40 bucks, $10 a ticket to buy Elton John or Neil Diamond or Metallica ticket. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I started as a digger. I, I had like a ticket mentor, Freddie the Weeper, and I hustled the streets of the city. I mean, when you're working with guys with names like Pickface Stanley, Blockhead and the mummy. I mean, there's some stories. And <laughs> th- th- I finally cleaned up my act in the early 90s, and I got off the streets, and someone gave me a break working in a ticket office, you know, on the phone, just pre-internet, boys and girls. Yeah. You <laughs> have to stand online for tickets. I'm a lot older than Chris, but he knows standing online for tickets. Right. So I I cleaned up my act. I I had rave review tickets, my company. And uh, if it wasn't for all that, there would have been no Ring of Honor. Although I might have died a hundred times along the way. I was lucky with the (laughs) lifestyle I was leading. But all those stories and all those characters, myself and my good friend, Ian Riccoboni, the announcer for Ring of Honor, it's on Last Stop Penn Station podcast. And lastly, Mike G, you know him from Metal Maniacs. Uh-huh. Right? Metal Metal Edge, Metal Maniacs, Mike yeah. G and Paul Gargano. Yeah. Mike G is working on my memoirs, Mike Greenblack. And oh, he, great. he he put out his first book, which was uh, a tribute to the 50th anniversary of Woodstock. So I'll be working on my memoirs, I'll be going to some wrestling, and I'm gonna come see you in January in Newark.
0: That's great, man. I can't wait to say hi and uh, meet up face-to-face. Uh, but what a great amount of stories, man. And congratulations on being one of the uh, reasons why Ring of Honor became the legendary company that it did. And you're one of the guys, one of the few guys in the wrestling business that nobody ever says a bad word about. So that's something that too, you could uh, be very proud
1: of. <laughs> <I> never <laughs> met Austin Aries. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, amazing. Thank you, Carrie. It's been great talking to you, man. I look forward to seeing you in January.
1: You got it, man. Thank you so much.
0: Cheers, man. Thank you.